With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. You're listening to the Fantrax Podcast Network. Fantasy Sports Entertainment lives here. Ovechkin accelerates in. Kodrak's gorgeous. He scores! Welcome to Fantasy Hockey Life. Presented by Fantrax. Lead pass up to Pedersen. It is Pedersen. It shoots. Your source for information and analysis to help you with your fantasy hockey league. Here's your host, Jesse Severe. Welcome to the Fantasy Hockey Life Podcast. Yes, I'm Jesse Severe, and I'm here joined with my partner in crime, Victor Nuno. How are you today, Victor? I'm doing great, Jesse. Super excited to talk about this Nashville team. They had some pretty interesting storylines this year, and they have a couple of pretty pretty cool prospects, uh, including controversial one, I think I would say. Uh, I think it'll probably ruffle some feathers uh, takes on him, so can't wait to get into that a little bit later. But we have a pretty good guest uh, that knows his Nashville Predators first, so that'll be that'll be fun to hear. Absolutely, yeah. We got a big-time guest here coming up uh, right after this, uh, so yeah, you're definitely going to want to listen to that. And Victor is teasing the drama. You know, we got to talk drama with some of these prospects. But Nashville's always—they are always a fascinating team to follow. Well, what's your what's your life been like following the Stanley Cup Finals? Uh, we we don't like to talk all those current events all the time, but I know you've been following the Stars pretty closely for this thing, right? Yeah, so the hockey writers, they asked me to help cover the Stars playoff run. And uh, when I picked them initially, I thought, okay, this will be fun for a round, you know, maybe two. And and, and here we are still in the Stanley Cup final. So it's been fun. Uh, they've been, they have a, they're a team with just a bunch of interesting storylines. I didn't really know much about Rick Bonus uh, before this playoff run, but just reading all the articles about him, he's a fascinating guy. And the, and the guys, the, the Stars love him. Of course, my boy Joe Pavelski is on that team, and so I'm I'm pretty rooting pretty hard for him. Although it looks uh, it looks not good, and by the time this comes out, it might already be over. But uh, he still had an amazing playoff run, uh, right up there with Braden Point in terms of goals in the playoffs. So that's been fun. And either way, I get to be happy that a former Shark won the Cup because Goodrow is over on the Lightning. I really was hoping the Lightning would lose early, though, because the Sharks have their first-round pick. But uh, it looks like it's going to be the last pick of the first round, so that's uh, a little bit disappointing. But uh, that's okay. I fully expect them to trade that pick because Wilson has mentioned over and over he wants to get uh, an asset that will help them win now. Uh, So I I think that means trading trading that pick, especially considering it's uh, basically an early second-rounder. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. And uh, even though things haven't worked out all that well 
Recently, I still trust Doug Wilson with uh, making a good trade for my team. He, he is a very highly skilled general manager. So yeah, uh, yeah, the the Stanley Cup playoffs almost done. The next season, uh, who knows? Who knows when it comes? Who knows how teams behave in the offseason with the money? And, you know, because right now we're just on the cusp of October. I was on the Internet today. I'm trying to follow the different rumors. You know, it's we know it's not starting until December, but I don't know if it's going to be December. I don't know if it's going to be January. I, you know, I, to, NBA now is definitely talking about not coming back until January. And uh, they have at least a couple more weeks left in them because they're not in the finals round yet. But I just wonder how soon we're going to be gearing up just from a uh, pragmatic standpoint for the next fantasy hockey season, <laughs> you know, it's uh, it could be two months away, could be three months away. I'm not quite sure. Uh, what I do you think? think the, where, where do you think it falls out, Victor? Yeah, I think the latest I heard from from the commissioner was that it looked more likely mid December, early January. I, I know that they really want it to be December first, but that's just so unrealistic with everything that's happened, uh, the draft and the free agency and training camps and development camps and all that it's just not enough time to squeeze it in so and i kind of hope for our sake that uh, i know that we've all been without regular season hockey for a long time but uh, certainly doing these uh these draft and team previews and the fact that we squeeze in this this exciting playoff um run uh means a little less of a true off season now so I think it makes more sense to, you know, just make it January. I kind of think that that's what it's going to end up being as much as they want it to be earlier. So uh, I think that'll be good to start the new, the new year with, with, uh, with hockey and, you know, gives us plenty of time to digest the draft and see what's happening at training camp. I also don't, I really don't want them to rush the development and the training camps that the teams get to run. So I think it would make sense to have that run, you know, just, you know, for November, December, um, give them plenty of time to to do that because uh, they're also going to need to quarantine, right, and probably create somewhat of a, a team bubble or something. I don't know what they're going to need to do, but uh, I think if they rush it, the one thing they didn't do with this with this uh, bubble playoff is they didn't rush it. They were really smart about it. They, uh, I'm so surprised still that there's zero positive tests from this bubble. They really did it right, and I think that's what they need to do for this season. They really need to think about it and see all the ways that baseball and basketball um, did it wrong and had had issues, and I think they need to make sure they don't do those things for the regular season. So that's going to take a little bit of you know planning. Um, so that's my hope, and we certainly don't want to have the regular season derailed um, by the pandemic. And it sure seems like it's not going to be dying down anytime soon. It's certainly not in the states. Uh, we're still getting surges and pockets of of uh, outbreaks. So it, there's a lot to be determined and and we'll see how it goes but yeah i think it's going to be uh mid-december to early january most likely yeah yeah well that gives you a little bit of time but regardless victor and i are working overtime to get the content out for everybody uh, to be prepping for that time uh, i i say it frequently but i'm hoping that these podcasts these team by team previews are going to be a binge worthy effort for you uh depending on when you're capturing these you might want to go back and listen to ones behind you. You might be prepping for the ones ahead, but you really want to have a good handle on what's going on in all 31 teams when you get into your draft. So this is going to be a good way uh, from both a redraft perspective and in some of these deep dynasty uh, digs that you're hearing from from Victor uh, to be prepped for those things. So, well, I guess that's where we're headed for today, Victor. Uh, any other opening thoughts before we get to our guest? 
Um, just that I'm going to have a couple of uh, articles come out for the hockey writers. So I think Kyle mentioned, uh, is going to mention one later, um, looking at some underrated prospects for the draft, uh, one of them from the Americans, one from the Russians. Uh, and we're also going to be, there's tons of draft content over there on the hockey writers. And I think we're also going to do a episode after the draft where you and I are going to talk about some fantasy implications post-draft. Uh, and that'll be really good to see like which players we think maybe slid a little bit and that might actually, uh, you know, help them be a little bit more of a fantasy, um, you know, hidden gem. So that's kind of what we will be looking at there. So that'll be fun. Can't wait for the draft. Yep. That's probably the next draft that some people will have is their first year player drafts for their dynasty leagues, presumably coming up. I know ours will be coming up in, in October. I got to get that laid out, but yeah, it's coming. It's coming soon. It's coming darn soon. Uh, We'll be looking forward to doing all those types of things. So, all right, well, let's take a brief bump and we'll be right back. All right. Welcoming into our show this week, a man who is a, content manager over at the Hockey Writers and a man who knows a whole lot about your Nashville Predators. That is Kyle Geip. Kyle, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. Well, Victor and I are, are happy to have you on. I always love talking some Nashville Predators. Uh, longtime uh, listeners know I always say this, but my first NHL game was a Predators game in person. Uh, I uh, lived in the South for a few years and got to enjoy a lot of different uh, hockey games down that way. So I have a soft spot for the uh, the Predators. I like them. I love them. I want some more of them. So uh, <laughs> it's, uh, it's always fun to talk about them. So uh, do you go back with the Predators? Is this a, a team uh, that you're choosing to cover for professionally, or is this a team you have a history with? Both, a little bit. Um, I'm from Pennsylvania, so I grew up a Penguins fan, actually. And... I got a little bit tired of how well they were playing in the mid uh, mid twenty teens, I should say. And I was on the Penguins bandwagon, I guess you could say, for the twenty sixteen Cup. And then when they were playing in the twenty seventeen final against the Predators, I was all on board with the Predators because I thought their energy was so much fun. And I have an uncle who lives in Nashville, so I've been to the city and love the culture there and whatnot. So I just kind of made the natural jump over to the Predators, and it's been a downward, downward spiral ever since the final. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. Uh, nobody's blaming you for jinxing it, Kyle, but uh, you bring up you bring up an excellent point. So Victor and I want to get into some of this. Uh, and, you know, just before we get into the, the overall, uh, you know, the, the Preds did have a disappointing year last year, and it's it's uh, they've kind of been on that. Kind of been on that train now for a while, but after the break, okay, there was a little bit of positivity. They went 13-8-1. They had a good, strong uh, finish to what was, uh, I guess we call it the regular season, and they were tied for the last playoff spot at the pause and really got killed on areas like special teams this year, 29th in the PK, 24th in the power play, 5th in shots this team was, but only 17th in goals. I, I don't you know, I don't get a lot of the things that went wrong with the Predators, Uh do you think that Nashville fans are kind of perceiving this as a uh, as a lost season, as as the beginning of the sky falling, or or just as something that they're going to be able to bounce back from? Well, I'm not 100% certain how the rest of the Predators fans feel. I am a little bit sort of pessimistic about the team. Um, I think that the, I guess, shortened season, the pause and whatnot – 
kind of gives them a nice excuse to say, well, it was just one year, you know, we'll be better next year. But in reality, the team's been going downhill since that cup final. They've um, tried bringing in a different player to fix it pretty much every year, and it hasn't worked. Uh, Peter Laviolette, who's a really successful coach, wasn't able to get it done. And you mentioned the PK being so bad. The power play's been bad for years, but the PK has always been pretty good. They've always been a good defensive team. They've um, done well to suppress shots. And that wasn't the case this year at all. And um, it showed with Pekka Rene's numbers and UC Saro's numbers and whatnot. And they just aren't playing as good defensive hockey as they used to. And their offense is just non-existent in some areas. Well, let's talk about some of those guys who have been brought in over this run. And and one guy, I guess the first that, that I tend to think of, really, I guess, was brought in during that cup run season, but has, eh, you know, kind of been mediocre middling ever since. Ryan Johansson, uh, you know, he had, he played with about everybody. The, the, the Preds line seemed to have been scrambled around a lot last year. He even was paired with Matt Duchesne for a while, which I don't know how that works. Uh, he was at least the healthiest forward on the team, it looks like, but he definitely, in my mind at least, hasn't lived up to his potential uh, at age 27 in his prime, five more years of $8 million a year coming up. Uh, what do you think about Ryan Johansson's uh, future? Do you see anything on an upward trajectory for him, or is he part of this uh, downward trajectory, unfortunately, that Predators fans are fearing? I'm not optimistic about his outlook. And I like Ryan Johansson. Um, I think that the trade they made to get him sending Seth Jones to Columbus in the moment was a really good trade. They needed a center. They've needed a center realistically ever since uh, the team was founded in the late 90s. And so they keep chasing it. It's why they signed Duchesne and acquired Kyle Terrace too. Um, But Johansson was really young at the time. He was coming off a 30-goal season, and it's looking more and more like he'll never get back to that 30-goal um, scoring pace. And he's a really good playmaker, and so when he's paired with Philip Forsberg and Victor Arvidsson, that Jofa line is really successful. Um, he's the playmaker on the line. He dishes the assists and whatnot. But if the other two aren't finishing, and this year both of Forsberg and Arvidsson took a step back um, – Johansson's impact is really limited and it's really frustrating because he's clearly talented and he's got a really good shot but he's not creating enough offense on his own and he relies too much on his uh, line mates to generate his offense for him so I'm not optimistic Um, I think it's going to take a I guess like a mentality change of how he wants to play uh, to actually turn his future around he's still a really good defensive player which is good but at $8 million a year, he needs to be generating a lot of offense. Yeah. Well, I I do think Jofa is one of my favorite line names, I think, in the NHL. I, I really enjoy that. Uh, and, and frankly, they're one of the more enjoyable lines to watch when things are going well, but it wasn't wasn't a great time. So why don't we just jump over and talk about those two, for, uh, Philip Forsberg, Victor Arvidsson. What's going on? Uh, where is the pace going? Uh, is there something we can point to to see why these guys are going to be able to bounce back? I think starting with, <clears throat> pardon me. I think starting with Arvidsson, the problem with him is always injuries. He, he plays with a real reckless mindset, and it's really fun to watch because he's really fast, but he's kind of small, and so 
he uh, stands right in front of the net and he gets abused. And um, every year he seems to be injured, you know, for a couple weeks at a time, misses a good bit of games, and then the recovery can really limit his, you know, potential and what his impact is on the ice. And this year it was the Robert Bertuzzo hit in November, uh, suffered a lower body injury. Don't really know if they ever said what that was, but he was out for several weeks. And then when he returned, he just was not the same player for the rest of the season. And, I mean, 28 goals in only 57 games just is not cutting it. When last year he had 48 points in 58 games. So it's not a sample size issue. It's that his actual impact and what he was doing on the ice was not good enough. And he still remains a really good player, um, but he's got to find a way to actually just stay healthy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Arvidsson, definitely, that that health has been a, a bugaboo for the guy. And like you said, his point pace was way down. And yeah, his shot percentage dropped a lot from the prior year where he was 17.4% down to 11.8. But that was really pretty in line with career norms for the guy. So it's not like he was getting particularly unlucky either. But, you know, last year, half point a game pace uh, for Victor Arvidsson, uh, you know, and maybe maybe some of that was a recovery. I thought I read it was a knee injury of some sort that he, he suffered from the Bertuzzo hit. And then he had some sort of a midsection injury in the playing games too. I don't know whether that was viewed as serious or, or whether that's he would have been back if uh, they would have kept playing. Uh, do, do you know anything on the update on, on his health? I'm not, not certain. Um, I know that he was missing. He missed game four, game three, game four in that Coyote series. I would hope that with this fairly lengthy offseason we're, we're looking at, because they were eliminated so early that by the time they get back to playing, it will have been several months. He'll have a good recovery and actually be fully held first or second line, however you want to look at it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So Philip Forsberg, you know, he is kind of who he is. I, I, I always tend to think of this guy who's uh, going to have this way high, you know, he's going to be a point-per-gamer someday. He's on his way up. Well, he's 26 years old, and in four of his six career full seasons, he's between, been between 62.5 and 64 points per 82 games. And his career point pace is 63.2 per 82 games. I mean, it's... it's uh, it's pretty remarkable to me. I mean, it's it's not that there's some kind of precision to that, but just how consistent his point pace has tended to be. And it doesn't mean that there's not ups and downs, but I think we just need to be we need to be happy with what Philip Forsberg is and not expect him to be somebody else at 26 and this point in his career. Uh, do you think that's the perception around the Predators? Is this guy a victim of expectations, or is everybody kind of settled into Philip Forsberg's just a he's a pretty good first line forward? I completely agree with you. Um, it is something to be that consistent in the NHL. You have a lot of players who are up and down, up and down, and you never know what to expect season to season. But with Forsberg, 60-point player, 25-ish goals every year, that's a really good player. And I think that when he was scored back-to-back 30-goal seasons a few seasons ago, People expected him to put up 30 goals and then, hey, maybe 35, you know, potentially a 40-goal season, which is unheard of in the Predators' history. And I don't know if he'll reach that, 
which is fine. Um, that first, second line forward, the Predators don't really have a true first line. Um, that's a really good production from a top six forward, especially at six mil a year. And when he signed that deal and he was beginning to really show what kind of player he was going to be, he looked like an incredible value in the league. And as he's kind of plateaued and we know exactly, we know more of what he is, that value is a really good value. It's not a remarkable value anymore, but you know, it's really good. And at 26, we kind of know this is who he is and let's take advantage of it while he signs to that deal, which I believe runs out in two years. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you mentioned bringing in centers from outside. And as far as I know, uh, the Predators like to bring them in from Columbus. Uh, they like to bring them in from Ottawa. Sometimes they like to bring in guys who've been with both teams. And uh, so the other two guys, uh, Matt Duchesne, Kyle Touris. Uh, Duchesne had his first season in Columbus, uh, in uh, Nashville. Not really probably all that people were hoping for. And Kyle Turris uh, keeps just kind of plugging along. Uh, what's your take on uh, on Duchesne and or Turis and wh- how they're going to be able to make an impact for the Predators going forward? I am one of the biggest Matt Duchesne fans there probably is. And he was connected to the Predators for what feels like three years. I don't know when it actually started, but when they made the Kyle Turris deal and um, Duchesne went from Colorado to Ottawa – that was the time when you felt like they should have actually acquired Duchesne. But instead, like they were both in that trade and it was kind of awkward afterwards. Um, I still think Duchesne can be a really good player. Uh, you look at his totals, they weren't good at all 13 goals, 42 points. Uh, his goal per game pace was the lowest of his career, which is not good when you're in your late 20s and you've just signed a new seven year deal. Um, but as you mentioned, their lines were chaotic, it seemed like, all year. And he played a lot with Mikhail Granlin, who had a really bad year. And he played with Philip Forsberg a good bit, who actually had what we said, pretty consistent year. But I think the combination of him being in a new city, being with different line mates, and I mean, he didn't get a ton of playing time either, which is something I think should be discussed it led to a, what it was a pretty bad year for Duchesne and the Predators have to hope that he can, re, he can um, rebound, recover, find his former, you know, 60, 70 point seasons that he's consistently put up in his career. He's not an elite first line center. He's never been that, but he is a really decent first line center or a really, really good second line center. The interesting thing I found this this is uh, uh, not to take us on a wild goose chase with this one, but Matt Duchesne's stat line last year uh, he had what thirteen goals, twenty nine assists, forty two points, one hundred thirty six shots, nine point six percent shooting percentage, twenty two blocks, forty hits. Those are kind of the the geek fantasy hockey categories we like. Those numbers were all almost exactly identical to Nick Suzuki's stat line. When you start looking at him compared to other uh, players and, uh, you know, Nick Suzuki, promising young rookie uh, who, you know, and, and I'm apples and oranges in all kinds of different ways, but not a guy whose line I would have expected to be identical to Matt Duchesne. So, yeah, hopefully he is. We know what Matt Duchesne can do. And uh, I'm with you. Hopefully uh, he's settled in. He's uh, 
got that first round of listening to all the country music that he was wanting to listen to when he got down there and, you know, got all the barbecue and, uh, and fried chicken that he needed. And now he's uh, going to be ready to, to hunker down and play some hockey next year. Uh, all right. Uh, well, you know, this is the Nashville Predators. The forwards really are never going to be the whole story. In fact, they're usually the undercard as far as uh, Nashville is concerned. In Nashville, we like to talk about the defense. Uh, you know, obviously they lost Seth Jones a few years ago, but they have some of the stars on defense. Uh, and it kind of starts with Roman Yossi, uh, the star of the team in my mind. Uh, what's your take on Roman Yossi? And uh, is he still just on the way up? I feel like I owe Roman Yossi a huge apology. I have not always been the biggest fan of him. I'm not a big fan of fully offensive defensemen because you see what happens with like people like Eric Carlson, who he gets injured and he kind of loses his skating ability a bit with injuries. And now that contract that he signed is just not looking good for the Sharks uh, moving forward. Sorry, Victor. Um, but with Yossi it seems to be a bit different. I used to think that Ellis kind of carried that line. He was the defensive, I guess, foundation of the the pair. And Yossi was free to kind of roam about and do what he wanted in the offensive and neutral zones. And then he would back check really well. But Ellis was the person that kind of protected him and shielded him and whatnot. And this year, um, that wasn't the case at all. Roman Yossi is an elite, elite defenseman. I mean, he won the Norris this year, finally. Uh, kind of feels like he was on pace to get that at some point, sort of how Victor Hedman got it. And then, you know, Dowdy, everyone talked about Dowdy a few years ago and he won and then Burns. And that's kind of how the Norris is. It's, you talk about the player for a few years and then like, three years later, they end up winning it. Even if it's not their best year, they're going to win it at some point if you get talked about enough. But Yossi had an incredible year, point per game player, 16 goals, led the team by 17 points as a defenseman. That's good but also terrible at the same time because <laughs> it's only 69 points. It's not, you know, 85 points or something like that. Um, career best year and not even close. And the real thing is for me with Yossi is his extension starts next year. Um, eight years, $9,059,000 million, $9 a year or something like that, I think is what the exact number is. And that's a little bit troublesome. Anytime you sign up, defenseman uh, in his late 20s to an eight-year extension kind of a little bit questionable how that's going to go but they had to keep him you have to make that uh, contract signing every year or every time I mean and I think he's going to age well he's a really really good skater and that's something that doesn't usually kind of just go away out of nowhere as long as injuries don't happen and he's been a really healthy player throughout his career so as long as he's there the Predators We'll continue to have one of the best defenses in the league, and that's a good thing for Nashville because that's what's going to guide them to future success until the roster structure changes. Yeah. I was impressed this year, and it, he does play with Ellis, except that Ellis missed uh, a few weeks due to a cheap Corey Perry elbow this year, I believe. Uh, but he does play with Ellis most of the time. But Yossi had a negative offensive zone start percentage on even strength this year, which surprised me. So I, I tend to think, well, yeah, you get Yossi out there and just deploy him in those offensive situations. But he was playing some decent defensive situations last year, I think, as well, uh, contrary to maybe what people like to put on his reputation. 
What about the other guys? What about your Brian Ellis and your Matthias Eckholms of the uh, defensive line, uh, Kyle? You you see good things coming from them too, or are they going to kind of stick in those supportive roles? I love Ryan Ellis. Um, injuries are a concern for him. I mean, this year, the concussion that happened at the Winter Classic, not something you can really plan for, but he has had other <clears throat> injury concerns throughout his career. Um, I think Ellis is kind of what he is now. He's always going to play second fiddle. We're talking about Nashville. Second fiddle to Yossi's you know, leading star role. But that's okay. You don't need to have two elite defensemen starring for your team uh this year ellis put up 38 points in 49 games that was the best point pace of his career which is remarkable because again he's somebody in his I believe late 20s who signed a, an extension recently and you don't want him to begin regressing soon after that extension kicked in and so a good season alongside yossi was key and he's the right shot to yossi's left shot you need that nice balance which the predators do really well on their defense core uh, Matthias Ekholm, to me, he's their shutdown defenseman. <clears throat> he is has a great value contract, $3.75 million. He's shown more offensive ability in recent seasons than what I think anybody ever thought they would get from him. This season, 33 points in 68 games. That's a really good pace for a second-pair defenseman. He's great on the penalty kill he's got a really good shot and he's shown people i think he surprised fans with his ability to kind of drive offense on his own he's not going to be somebody that's in behind the opposing net like yossi is but he can lead a rush if need be and he's really good at finding the breakout pass in the defensive zone when he and pk suban were a pair it was my favorite pair to watch in the predators and they were one of the best defense pairs in the league um, during their time together. And I think Ekholm really carried Subban, and not offensively or anything like that, but it was one of those situations where Ekholm's defensive abilities picked up Subban's lacking, I guess kind of like how he wasn't as good defensively. Um, and I think that's what helped Subban be a Norris finalist his first full year in Nashville, I believe it was. And this year, Ekholm played a lot with Dante Fabro, rookie, and... Um, Fabro definitely had some growing pains in the NHL, but he looked pretty good and to the point where he almost had as good of a season offensively as what Subban did. And they were able to actually part with Subban's contract too. So Ekholm's going to remain kind of like the, the calming presence in the defensive on the defense core. And as long as he's there, um, I think he's going to continue to serve that role and be great at it. And uh, they're going to have to think about an extension for him because after 2021-22, his contract's up. Yeah, I wanted to pop in here on Fabro. So you mentioned him briefly, um, and he is uh, he's a really exciting young defenseman. I feel like the, um, the Nashville Predators do a really good job of developing – not just drafting, but developing these defensemen into really solid two-way players. And uh, I didn't get to watch too much Fabro uh, this season. I don't watch as many uh, Nashville games. But uh, when I did watch him, yeah, he he looked pretty good up from the eye test. But his uh, Corsi percentage was pretty bad. He was a negative 1.8. And 
most of the other defensemen were better than him, except Yannick Weber and Jared Tenorti, which is expected. Um, he, he wasn't. He didn't seem to generate much offense. His expected goal differential was negative. Uh, and so, you know, some of his, uh, I guess, more advanced stats numbers didn't look too favorable. But again, this, you know, when he had 64 games, so he played most of the season. Um, but he is still pretty young. So I guess that was my... The, that was one of my questions for you, how he looked. And the other one, the other point is that if you look at his hockey prospecting in terms of what his trajectory looks like, he looks almost a mirror image of Tori Krug, which is pretty exciting in terms of Krug is, you know, pretty well-known offensive contributor, um, maybe has some defensive warts in his game that I'm not sure Fabro does, but in terms of the NHL equivalency that he's been put up, uh, been putting up he he's on a pretty big upward trajectory at 41 percent star potential and 81 percent nhl probability so those are pretty good numbers for the uh still fairly young fabro um so do you do you see those defensive wards in his game do you think he can grow into an offensive uh sort of powerhouse like a krug kyle i think as of right now he's a pretty good defensive like about the defensive elements of being a defenseman i think he's actually pretty good on that front i don't know if he'll generate or develop into this offensive defenseman in the future i don't know but i don't know if that's what the predators need him to be either though because he'll always be on that second pair as long as roman yossi's uh there or i guess ryan ellis too which is fine. The Predators don't need a top line or a top pair defenseman right now. They're good. And so as long as Fabro can be that, you know, 25, 30 point defenseman in a full season, I think they would be really happy with him, especially if he's playing solid defensive hockey. And granted, this year he was sheltered too. like don't want to um, make anything more out of it than what there actually was. He started in the offensive zone a lot. And that's something that happens with young rookie defenseman and that's okay he was coming out of uh boston university so he's learning the pro game right now too this is his first full professional season and that's really encouraging to see somebody go from the college game to the pro game and make the steps that he did in such a weird season yeah and this guy it's still it's it was impressive to me that he jumped in was able to play the third most minutes on the team among skaters uh, partly because he played 15 more games than ryan ellis uh, due to injuries but clearly some growing pains here but yeah dante fabro keep an eye on that guy he could be on his way up uh well fabro and and uh and ellis and yossi and ekholm they're all charged with trying to defend those nashville goalies and the nashville goalie situation is always a Always a place of great interest, the the immortal Pecorine, who just simply will not go away in the uh, eternally teasing UC Saros, who we always think is probably going to take the role this year and never quite seems to happen. Uh, gosh, <laughs> I'll, I'll just let you talk, Kyle. What do you think? Is, is it going to be Rene? Is it going to be Saros? Is it going to be neither? Is it going to be both? What's going to happen to this crease? I think... <laughs> this is a really good question. <laughs> um, I think for for years now, fans have been wanting Saros to take more of a like a larger role in the net. And for me, it was always it, like what I wanted to see happen was that Rene and Saros would begin to split starts, and then Saros would be get like maybe 
75% of starts by the time, so that by the time Renee's contract was up, which is after next year, actually Saros and Renee are both free agents after next year. Saros will be able to be paid like a starting goaltender. Renee, if he stays around, would just be a backup or he would retire and then they would bring in somebody to play with him either in a platoon or as a true backup option. That hasn't really happened. Laviolette um, never gave Saros much of a long leash. They never really trusted in Saros very much. It showed in the playoffs a lot. And I think that there were games and potentially series that the Predators lost in recent years that had Saros been the starter, they may not have lost. And so even if you look back at the 27 Cup final when Rene kind of imploded in the final, I, for me, I was really pulling for Saros to get the start or to pull Rene early. You can tell pretty quickly in the games when a goalie just does not look good. Off on his angle, uh, too aggressive, too passive, anything like that. And he looked like that in the Cup final. And I wanted to see Saros in there because to me, Saros, who's a smaller goalie, looks, he's more consistent in his play than what Rene has been in recent seasons. Now, this year, they started really similar amounts of games. Um, Saros played in 40, Rene 36. On the surface, it looked like Saros had a lot better of a season. 914 save percentage, 270 goals against average. Rene, 895, 317. But then when you start breaking it down, at 5 on 5 they were really similar, except that Rene faced way more high danger chances than what Saros did. And so that begins to really show where the save percentage can kind of break apart. And then also when you begin to look at their PK, Rene was not good defending the power play. And that's something that you don't see a lot, a ton of chances um, on the penalty kill relative to 5 on 5. And they tend to be higher danger chances than at 5 on 5. But still, Rene's usually been a pretty good goaltender when facing the power play. And this year he was not. And that, I think kind of works hand in hand with the team in general having a bad PK. They were giving up more chances, but also Rennie wasn't making the appropriate or the right amount of saves that you would normally expect him to. And so it's this weird mutual, like bad relationship that happened this season. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, it's been so interesting to watch over the last couple of years. And I remember when they, when they gave Saros this contract, you, you kind of knew that it was going to come to a head like this season, right? Because as you said, they're both on the last year of their contract, Saros and Rene. So uh, it is starting to look like he is getting more of the starters role Saros is. Um, and when you look at it a little bit more from like the expected goals metric. So what I did was I looked back the last three years and it's pretty clear that Saros has been the better goalie, right? He has 20 goals saved above expected over a three year span, 97 games. Whereas Rene only has six goals over expected in the last uh, three years, 151 games. Uh, their goal saved about average is pretty similar in that span, um, which is one reason why I like the expected goals in, instead. And Saro seems to be playing above what he's what his protection is offering him as well, as indicated by the Delta Fenwick save percentage. So he's using what the team is giving him a little bit better. Um, and so that was three years. But if you just look at the last year, Saros wasn't great. He only saved one goal above expected, but Rene scored uh, 21 fewer than he should have. So it was a big, big discrepancy this year. And it it just seems like it has been slowly shifting in this direction. And then this year was just kind of more dramatically um, 
tilted towards sorrow so and, and they have another pretty good goalie that we'll talk about in the dynasty dig so it seems like everything's uh moving towards that progression of renee you know like you said either retiring or maybe um signing a much smaller uh, or lower cap hit contract to stick around as a as a 1b or a backup so it'll be interesting to see how they handle that i'm not sure he's going to want to do that uh, after being the guy for so long but you know that would make sense from a team perspective so I've been I've been invested in my fantasy leagues uh, in Saros for many years, and I'm just so ready for Saros time. <laughs> I agree with you that he he um, he's I like the way he plays his angles and his positioning. I feel like Pekka is is really good too, but he certainly relies on his size, which you know mm-hmm. he should. But Saros doesn't have that. Uh, he he can't rely on his size because I think he's like five ten, so he's he's much shorter, and so he really has to have sort of perfect. Um, positioning although it didn't work out so well in the in the playoffs as we know he had a uh, um three and a half goals fewer than expected saved so um, but you know that was one of his that was his first time basically being the starter in in the playoffs so you know um Ren has certainly had a series like that and it's a short series so you know you, you can't take too much from that i don't think so Saro should be the guy and hopefully we start to see that i agree um I think that Saros has to be more technically sound, like you're saying, because he is smaller. And Rene's been that player who relies on his athleticism a lot. And I think he tends to overcommit a lot of times. And when he goes post to post, he's been known to over slide, essentially, when he's going from you know one side to the other. And that was something he worked on a few years ago, um, trying to stay within the net as he's making those slides and trying to cut back, cut off angles and whatnot. Um, I would like to see Saros become the true number one starter next season and maybe start if they play 82 games, which I mean, nobody knows how many games are going to play, but if it was an 82 game season, I would like to see him start 60, 55 to 60 games, give him a true starters workload, see if he is the guy or not, or whether he's just going to be a, a platoon option in the future and that they need to address the other side of the platoon in the future via free agency or whatnot. Because there's been talks, too, about maybe they pursue Yaroslav Askarov in the draft. It would be about the right slot where they're going to pick. And, I mean, he's the best goalie prospect, arguably, since Carey Price. I mean, he's that good. So... Yeah, there's uh, in in uh, Victor's twitching over there. Somebody mentioned the draft around him. We're 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 gonna get to that, Victor. <laughs> hang on, man. Hang on. Yeah, no, I, I uh, think it's time for them to make some kind of a jump here. This is a franchise, uh, Kyle, where they've got some big money contracts out there. You know, Johansson, Duchesne, uh, Tourists, uh, Yossi Ellis, big money contracts going out for years. And hey, the 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 hockey nerds probably appreciate the fact, too, that the big, long money contracts are not going to goalies right now. They're going to some of these more offensive, sustainable uh, players who maybe have a little bit of a ch- better chance of keeping it up. Anyway, my point being, they still have $8.2 million of cap space, if I'm adding correctly, for next year uh, left to go. They don't have any particular restricted free agents that they're having to deal with in arbitration, but they did lose like a Mikhail Granlund and Craig Smith. This has got to be a team that's still in their contending window, right? They have to be viewing it that way internally. Do you think that they're going to make a splash in free agency this offseason? I may uh, reveal the kind of how I view roster construction here 
I don't want them to, only because the team is older than what I think a lot of people realize. Uh, it's gotten old really quickly, it seems like. All of those players that were in their mid, early to mid-20s are now in their late 20s, and they're all on these long-term deals. Now, the best part about having David Poyo as a GM is there's only two contracts, I believe, with trade protection. I think Yossi got trade protection, and... Pecorino, but you're not going to move Pecorino within the one year left anyway. Um, and you're not going to trade Roman Yossi. That's how his contract stayed below $10 million, is no state taxes and uh, trade protection on it. <clears throat> but they could theoretically part with any of the other contracts. And Kyle Turris, his name's been you know, bantied about and stuff. And um, I don't know if they're gonna they should move him or not. They're gonna take a beating if they do, whether it's uh, in the ter- um, in the way of retained salary or whether they have to give up a pick or something just to have somebody take his contract. I don't like those deals. I think it's really bad for future, you know, contract or uh, future salary structure and stuff. Um, as far as this off season though, they have the money to make a deal to make a big move, and there are free agents available. Taylor Hall's out there. There. Are probably not gonna be able to afford him um mike hoffman's an interesting option he's a really good goal scorer he's consistent goal scorer he's pretty good in the power play those are both things that the predators need they really lack a goal scorer scorer and they lack power play threats and so mike hoffman could be that guy who they really pursue and i believe he's a left shot which would even be better because they have so many right shot forwards i like the joe line as we mentioned earlier it's all three right shot forwards though and that is good but it can also be really bad because somebody's always going to be on his offhand when in the offensive zone and that's kind of a struggle especially on the power play so maybe mike hoffman um i don't know if they'll retain either grandland or craig smith if they're going to go one or the other i would lean craig smith he's a nashville draft pick he's been in their system the entire his entire career and like philip forsberg he's really consistent he's not a top line forward he's a second third line forward who puts up you know 40 50 points every year in that realm and uh he's really good i i like him quite a bit now granlin no they should just avoid him he's has not fit in well since coming over in that trade and fiala is looking great in minnesota which is just so sad <laughs> Uh, yeah, I was such a Grandland fan before he came in, but yeah, that does not have been a successful experiment yet. Well, if uh, those guys are, if if uh, we are hoping maybe that a big splash in free agency isn't the solution, maybe the solution is some of these guys from within. And the man I know who loves to talk about that t- stuff happens to be here with us, Kyle. It's Victor Nuno. So let's take a brief break and then come back to talk about this Nashville Predators prospect system. Okay, we're back, and we're ready to talk a little bit of Predators prospects. According to the Hockey Writers, folks, the website, the source that you ought to be reading to uh, find out what you need to know about real-life NHL hockey, the Predators have the 20th-ranked prospect system. They're right there in the middle. Some other sites, Corey Promen and The Athletic is less optimistic. He has them 29th out of 31 teams. And Hockey Prospecting site apparently has them at 10th, so... Uh, the hockey writers, right in the middle, like the the, the little uh, baby bear there, uh, or the what is the thing with the, the porridge and the bears and the just right, yeah, just right, whatever it was, they're the just right. Uh, okay, so we've got 
the three that you normally bring up first, uh, Victor, and we got to get Kyle's thoughts on these as well, but give us first your no-brainer prospect for this Predators farm system. All right, so the no-brainer is their most recently drafted first-round pick, Philip Tomasino, who was 24th overall in 2019. And, you know, in his draft year, he was uh, he was pretty good. He was uh, the Niagara Ice Dogs' 72-point uh, and 67-game player in the OHL. And so, you know, that kind of made sense. But there was definitely some untapped potential there as he popped off uh, in his draft plus one year, combining among, but he got traded midseason from Niagara to the Oshawa Generals, and he combined for 40 goals and 100 points in 62 games, which is just just pretty fantastic. Fourth in league scoring in the OHL. Uh, unfortunately, he didn't get an invite to the World Junior uh, Championship for Canada, but I'm pretty sure he will um, this year. Uh, and so he has really great vision, really great shot. Uh, there, the thing, the, the best thing about him, I think, is that there aren't really any holes in his game. He's just a really solid, well-rounded player. Um, and the other thing that's interesting is that he is too young for the AHL. Uh, so he's either going to be back in junior, just uh, setting records probably, uh, or in the NHL. And We've been talking about how the Predators can use some scoring punch and would benefit from an exciting young player like him. So I think there's a decent chance he makes uh, the NHL out of camp. It all depends, of course, what what happens uh, and whether he shows well and shows that he's ready in training camp. Um, Dauber has his upside, upside, mind you, comparable as Mika Zibanejad, which uh, would be fantastic. Um, and, of course, remember, it took Zibanejad many years to get to the elite player he is today so it might take a while if it does ever happen Uh, but hockey prospecting uh, has his comparable as Dylan Larkin which he actually looks really close to Dylan Larkin and the other thing I like about him is that uh, in in terms of this comparison the numbers are pretty similar and um, Larkin after his draft plus one year had a little bit of a regression remember he had that pretty uh, or maybe you don't remember, but in his draft plus one year, he had a pretty big spike, and then he kind of uh, regressed a little bit. And so we don't know, obviously, if Tomasino is going to do that. He might have a f- further up trajectory and and not um, come down a little bit as uh, as Larkin did. But you know, he's a he's a really exciting prospect. And if you look at the 2019 drafter tool over at Hockey Prospecting, and the other thing I should say about their ranking, part of the reason they're 10th is that they include some of the younger guys that um, other systems don't. So like Fabro is still a prospect in, in his model. So that's part of the reason why it looks so good um, because Fabro's played a lot of games and probably shouldn't be considered a prospect anymore. But uh, if you just look at that 2019 draft on hockey prospecting, you have Hughes, Kaliev, and Cousins ahead of Tomasino in terms of star uh, probability. And then it's Tomasino at fourth, uh, tied with uh, Robertson, Turcotte, uh, and the guy we talked about last week, Adam Beckman. So, you know, he's in some pretty great company. For a guy that was drafted near the end of the first round, He's looking great, and he's ahead of guys like Matt Boldy, Trevor Zegers, Cole Caulfield. So, you know that's a, that's pretty great to get such an exciting young player out of that um, out of such a late draft position. So, uh, I don't know what do you what do you think about him, Kyle? You think he'll make the NHL this uh, this season and kind of kind of show us a little bit of what he can do? I think at the very least he'll get he'll he'll play in the NHL out of training camp. Whether he gets beyond the 
is it nine games that burns mm-hmm. your first year of your entry level? Yeah, nine um, game. <clears throat> I don't know if he'll get beyond that if he'll play a tenth game or not. Uh, it could de- be determined by how well the Predators do in those first nine games, to be honest with you. Um, if I remember correctly, when his draft scouting reports were coming out, he was somebody who may not have the highest ceiling, but he also has a, an extremely high floor where you know pretty much what he could be already, which is really, really nice when you're drafting somebody in the first round, especially for a team like the Predators, who've either traded first-round picks or have not done extremely well with drafting first-round picks in recent years. Um, I do wonder where he would slot in on the Predators' uh, roster and depth chart next season, uh, whether he would be a center to start or whether he would play on the wing, because it doesn't make sense to me to bring up somebody with that much potential to play him in a bottom six role. Maybe the third line, but definitely not at the fourth line. And <clears throat> ideally, you'd want him playing in a top six role, especially on like the second line with maybe someone like Matthew Shane, and who is really defensively responsible and can take some of the more difficult uh transitional elements going from the OHL to the NHL off of uh, Tomasino. So if they have a spot for him, he should be there for all, however many games they play next season. Um, He's too good. I don't know what else he could do in the OHL to prove himself anymore. It's kind of that idea of has, is there any potential or any more development left in him in that league? And I don't think there is. um, Unfortunately though, David Poyle, generally likes to let his prospects over ripen before bringing them up to the NHL. Um, And sometimes that actually stunts their development and makes it so that when they reach the NHL, they're not able to continue on their development trend. And they take at least one year back if they ever regain that potential. And um, I think that's what we saw with players like Kevin Fiala, who kind of stunted his growth in Nashville. And then he went to Minnesota and he's taking off. Well, definitely. That's a guy that we're going to be keeping our eye on. Who's the next fella in this prospect system, Victor? The one that we need to know. All right. So the need to know, the reason he's the need to know is some people outside of Nashville may not know him as well, but that is David Ferentz. David Ferentz is a defenseman, and he was the 93rd overall pick from 2017. And he was, uh, you know, trucking along okay, playing in the NCAA. He he was drafted out of the US NTDP um, in in 16-17, where that team was before the the historic team that we've been talking about with Hughes and Turcotte and all that. So he was, you know, he was pretty average. His first uh, couple seasons, at, his first season at Boston University was, you know, okay. He just had nine points in 31 games, and then he had 20 and 37 his sophomore year. And this, and his third season, he had 43 points in 34 games. So he really broke out in this junior se- uh, season for Boston University. In fact, he led the entire NCAA defenseman with 43 points uh, that I just mentioned. So that was a pretty big breakout. Um, there are some rumors that he might just uh, play out his senior year. And when, if, as a reminder, as if college uh, uh, draftees do that, um, they basically can sign with any team that they want, uh, which would be very sad for Nashville, who I'm sure has been 
just uh, drooling over this breakout season of his. So it'll be really interesting to see what he does, whether he signs. He hasn't signed yet, um, whether he plays out this whole season and signs or whether he plays it out and then decides to uh, go to another team. You know, one one uh, reason why he might do that is that, as, as we know, Nashville does have a pretty stacked uh, defense and uh, he's a lefty so he's behind Yossi and Ekholm um, which you know isn't a bad thing to be behind uh, Roman Yossi and learn from him that might be a reason to sign and come and play in Nashville um, so you know he's a guy who really excels at both ends of the ice he's uh, uh, his competitiveness and his heart is, is listed by some sources as sort of his best attributes so he seems to be you know a leader, a really heart and soul kind of guy. Um, he probably does have some untapped offensive potential, as you can see. Part of the reason that led to his breakout is some of those, uh, some of the players from the previous teams uh, left uh, Boston University, so that gave him an opportunity. Um, but Dauber says uh, that, that uh, he reminds him a little bit of Adam Fox, which uh, would be, you know, we've seen what Adam Fox has done this season in the NHL after a couple of years at Harvard, and so. Uh, that would be great. Although if you look at the hockey prospecting and if you just look at Adam Fox's numbers, Adam Fox was better as a freshman and sophomore than David Ference was. And Ference just basically had this huge spike as a draft plus three in the NCAA. So um, I think a more apt comparable, the one that I found. Well, the other thing that's weird about his development is that Ference sort of had a really fairly low NHLE in his draft minus one. He popped up to 14 in his draft year then he went back down to nine and then up to 17 and then he popped a 39 uh equivalency in his draft plus three years so that's kind of a weird up and down and then a huge shot up at the end and so you know one the guy that he looks the most like i think is jake gardner and um jake gardner obviously has some offensive potential clearly has some defensive warts and david ference is not uh immune to that um he is a you know as i mentioned a really tough competitor and he is good that way but he definitely um you know makes some mistakes here and there so i don't know that he's def he'll uh gardner has sort of a reputation of being defensively sort of poor but with some good offensive capability i don't know if he'll be quite like that exactly but uh i would expect him to be a fairly ready nhl defenseman when he decides to sign and turn pro and he can probably step right in and play meaningful minutes maybe on a bottom pairing or uh maybe at best a middle pairing um, but certainly if he gets the opportunity as sort of a second power play or, you know, um, uh, could have some even strength point upside uh, modestly. So I don't know. You must be pretty excited about Ferentz. Uh, Kyle, what do you think about him? I really like David Ferentz. Back when I was writing for you know, covering the Predators a bit more, um, I was always kind of talking him up in things. Um, I think David Ferentz's career, at least at BU so far, has been one defined by opportunity. Um, when he was a freshman, you mentioned his point totals were down. Uh, BU had a really good defense um, for several years, at least leading up to last year, including uh, one of the members of that was Dante Fabro. And it was so full at one point that they actually played Ference on the wing too. So he's definitely offensively capable. And that's exciting. So then uh, he and uh, Ference and Dante Fabro were actually I believe, defense partners in Ference's sophomore season, which is also really good. So I was a little disappointed to see that he is expecting to return for his senior season. And that's kind of usually when 
college prospects return to their senior seasons, they almost always go to free agency and sign with whoever they want to. Maybe that won't be the case now. The Predators have a pretty decent history, minus Jimmy Vc, of signing their college prospects. Um, the fact that Fabro left after his junior year, I think, bodes well for the Predators being able to sign Ference, especially if... Uh, given the connection between Fabro and Ference, the Predators, even though they have a pretty stacked defense core, have room for him. Uh, you mentioned him being a possible def- third-pair defenseman right out of the gate. I completely agree. I think he is an offensive defenseman with a who could be a really good power play specialist. Um, and what do the Predators need? A power play, a better power play in general. Everything on the power play could be replaced with something better. And so if he were to come in, anchor their second power play unit maybe, and then play third pair minutes, I could see that happening as soon as, well, if he's returning for a senior year, 2021-22 then. Um, I'm really excited for him. His development has been great, and he's really kind of just increased my excitement for him, which was already pretty high to begin with. Well, excellent. I know, Victor, you have three rounds of your prospect. You uh, always end with the the keep-your-eye-on prospect, which this time I feel might be a little bit misleading because I feel like I've kept my eye on this guy forever already. But who is your keep-your-eye-on prospect this week, Victor? Oh, this this guy's kind of like staring at the sun, though. You keep your eye on him, and it's pretty exciting, and then he sort of burns you a little bit. Um, but this is uh, Eli Tolvanen. So most people probably have heard of him and know a little bit about his story. But, uh, you know, he was a a pretty, you know, a a first round pick from 2017, 30th overall. And I think the thing that really caught everyone's eye is that he, uh, in his draft year, um, really just kind of exploded. And I'm sorry, his draft plus one year playing in Joker at over in the KHL. It's a KHL team from Finland. Uh, and so that was like a pretty amazing sort of outburst of, of, of point potential. Uh, and so, you know, at a, at a young age, playing so well in the KHL, it was like, wow, this guy's going to be great. Uh, sky's the limit. Uh, and then he sort of came to North America and we were all really excited about him. And it just kind of completely flopped. Uh, and so his his first year in North America was not that good. Uh, he um, had a, a few games with the Predators. Um, and he, he only had two points. And then he had uh, 35 and 58 for the Milwaukee Admirals in the AHL. So, you know, it was okay. Uh, it wasn't like it was absolutely terrible, but we were expecting so much more. And I think part of that frustration, and I, and I think for him it was a little bit frustrating not, like, coming straight to the NHL. He felt like probably felt like he was ready being in the KHL and doing so well. And so part of that part of been might have been the frustration. And then he um, – his second year – okay, you know, go back to the AHL and, you know, kind of show us that you can do it. It was actually a little worse in terms of total points because he had 36 in 63 games. And so that was kind of unfortunate. Um, but he did have 19 points in his last 20 games. So it seemed to turn it on towards the end. And maybe he's turned the corner in terms of, uh, you know, getting back to where uh, he can be a really strong contributor he is uh, back in Joker it um, because the KHL is starting to play. Uh, unfortunately, though, Finland, um, they put the, the team under a 14-day quarantine from the coronavirus. So he's gotten into only two games and had one assist. So no, nothing major to report on that yet. Uh, they're going to start playing, I think, um, 
the day that we're recording. Um, so we'll see, keep an eye on him in terms of how he's doing in the KHL. Hope, the hope is that he'll slide back over to North America after that. Um, in terms of his hockey prospecting, it's extremely difficult to gauge because he basically had that one draft plus one season that has a 62 NHL equivalency, and the rest of his seasons are in the mid to high 20s. So it's kind of like all over, and it's sort of a big V in the middle with a spike up. Um, but one guy that does look kind of interesting, except for his last season, is Brock Besser in terms of his equivalency. Um Tolvanen had a better draft plus one year, but Besser um, ex- really came out in his uh, draft plus three year, which was his first year in the N- NHL. And so, you know, hopefully there's some uh, there's some optimism here. I still think he's a guy who could, um, you know, that talent just doesn't go away. I think there's just been a lot of frustration and there was a lot of uh, maybe mismanagement a little bit, as, as Kyle kind of mentioned, in terms of, you know, he, he probably should have gotten a better chance on a better line. I think I remember even when he did get into the NHL lineup, he was sort of like in the bottom six, not really getting time with the scores. And, you know, that's not really, in my opinion, the way to treat your um, high-end prospect talent. You want to give him an opportunity to succeed next to your, your best uh, offensive player. So, you know, he's a guy that I'd be trying to buy i think for him the buy window has never been better because i still do think there is some potential there and i asked some of the um people on twitter who they would give up for him and an interesting name that i like a lot is uh heponiemi from florida which we'll talk about soon as another prospect that i think has sort of fizzled out someone also mentioned arvidson which i think is kind of funny considering our discussion earlier Um, but arvidson is so um you know still relevant so that might be a difficult uh, this is more for fantasy, not in real life. Obviously, that trade wouldn't happen in real life because that's the same team. But uh, a couple other guys that I looked at just on Fantrax in terms of guys that are similarly owned to Tolvanen, I'll just read them off. Uh, Kellen Foote, Tyler Madden, Alex Formanton, Kiefer Bellows, Martin Kaut, John Beecher, and Sasha Shemilevsky. I think Tolvanen has a higher upside than pretty much all of those guys. And so I think that uh, if if you could get Tolvanen, and, you know, just kind of hold on to him and wait and see. I still think that there's some upside there. Uh, it's not the most likely, but it is um, like that talent just didn't just go away. You don't do that at 18 in the KHL for Joker and then just like forget how to play hockey. So I think it's there. It's untapped. And uh, what do you think, Kyle? Um, frustrating. <laughs> not on not that I'm frustrated with Tolvanen at all. I think it made a lot of sense uh, in his like draft plus one year, essentially. When was his first year in Milwaukee? That one made a lot of sense. It made a lot of sense for him to be in the AHL for his first year in North America like that. His first professional year in North America, I should say. Uh, by all accounts, that year was to kind of get him into the Predators system, get him to learn how to play more of a two-way game, which the Predators kind of require out of all of their forwards to be defensively responsible. And I think that made a lot of sense. But him going back to Milwaukee last year never made sense to me. And in my opinion, he has to be in the NHL this season from the start, and he has to be given a solid chance to actually perform. Victor, you mentioned that he didn't really play uh, solid minutes when he has gotten a brief chance in the NHL. He's played in the bottom uh, six most of the time that's not where you want to put your top pros- top offensive prospects at all um nick benino is great but he's not gonna 
you know, generate offense in the same way that Ryan Johansson or Matt Duchesne should be able to. And so when I said that they're free agents, Mikel Granlin and Craig Smith, one of the reasons why I don't think they should resign Granlin, and I'm even kind of hesitant with Smith, is there need to be spots for prospects like Tolvanen and potentially Tomasino to come in and actually get a serious shot at playing in the top six and where they can generate offense and play their types of games. And um, Tolvanen has kind of proven that he can succeed in the AHL. 19 games in the last, or 19 points in his final 20 games is really good. The AHL is a tough league, a very tough league for um, to generate offense in. And if you're able to do that, it usually translates well to the NHL. And I'm hoping that finally the Predators with a new coach too, that's kind of key, um, will give him a shot to show what he can do. And maybe the Predators can definitely benefit from the additional spark. Well, good stuff. Those are your highlighted prospects, Victor, but who are the rest of the guys that we all ought to know about? Okay, I'll mention a couple of forwards, a defenseman, and a, and the goalie. Um, so, And then maybe we can... Um, I'll get your take after these two, Kyle. So the first one is Yakov Trenin. Uh, Trenin is uh, one of these guys who's probably going to be a much better real-life defenseman than he will any kind of fantasy asset. So I think he's a really good player for Nashville. He's a, he's a solid two-way player. Uh, he was signed, uh, he was drafted back in 2015, and he's been developing ever since. He's had uh, three years uh, mostly playing for the Admirals and, a, and a 21 games for Nashville this season, actually. So he has played a little bit. Um, he looks like an NHLer. Dauber says his upside is uh, Kessler at the very best case scenario, I would say. But in general, I think he is a, a more of a shutdown player like Kessler in terms of he will uh, be really tough to play against. And he showed that this season. He was 17th on the Preds in expected goals for per 60, which isn't which isn't very good offensively. But he was 10th in plus minus in Corsi percentage, basically. Uh, that's great for your first 21 games in the NHL to be able to uh, be ahead of guys like Nick Benino, as uh, as Kyle, you mentioned, he's always been known as a great defensive center. Uh, he's getting a little bit older, so that might be part of it. But Trennan was better than Johansson, better than Yarncroft, Arvidsson, Granlund, Sissons, and Turris, all of those guys. He was better than them. So, you know, he's a guy in terms of fantasy, though, I would just avoid him because he's never going to probably put up too many points. But I think for real life, um, he is going to help the goalies. He's going to help the Predators. He's going to um, add some great depth, two-way um, snarl to uh, to that team and help them be really tough to play against. And maybe be uh, Nick Benino 2.0, right, which would be nice. Um, the other guy is Igor Afanasyev. Afan- Afanasyev, thank you. I should have prepared that one better. <laughs> uh, yeah, so he's a, a a little bit more of an exciting prospect in terms of fantasy. He's very large man. He's 6'4". Uh, he's a left winger, and he was drafted uh, just this past season, 2019. He was a second rounder. And he's looked pretty good, too. But the thing is that, you know, these these big power forwards, they take a long time usually to mature. And so he's someone who might take four or five years uh, to really hit his peak potential. So if you're in a league who you can wait that long, then great. Um, but uh, it might it might be a bit and he might never put up the huge point totals, but he might be, you know, one of those prospects, one of those uh, players in fantasy that can get you lots of peripherals with shots and hits and, you know, those kinds of things. 
Dauber says he may end up looking somewhat like Max Pacioretty at his peak. Um, I don't know that he'll ever score that much. The hockey prospecting model has him looking like Alex Burmistrov, which who was not as exciting, certainly, but uh, certainly was an NHLer. And so um, it, he's a guy that you know certainly is somewhat somewhat exciting, but uh, is going to be a bit. So if you're in a league where four or five years down the line is just way too long to be holding on to and planning, uh, then I would just avoid him as well. But if, if you're in some, I know that some of us are in really deep leagues where um, guys sit on your roster for years. So he, he's a guy to take a look at. What do you think of those two, Kyle? I really like try, um, Trinan, Trenin. I forget how you pronounce I think it's Trenin. Yeah, Yakov Trenin. He, uh, yeah, offensively, his upside's probably not going to be very much uh, or very high. Um probably bottom six forward for most of his career, which is really good. Plays that good shutdown role. He's pretty big, actually. He plays physical. He is Russian, but he completely destroys the Russian stigma of Russians don't like to play physical or they don't like to kind of engage and things like that. He is someone who will engage with you and is very difficult to play against. And he's just a really good player and he's one of the prospects who that slow development that over ripening has actually been a really good thing they've allowed him to develop and take on a bigger role in milwaukee each year and then this season he was able to make the jump to the nhl and um i would say all expectations are that he'll have a you know a spot in the opening roster opening night roster when the season begins especially on the third or fourth line and play good pk minutes if he needs to and can just kind of be a menace to play against um as far as afanasiev <clears throat> he could be a real good real diamond or yeah diamond in the rough type of prospect uh not a first rounder by any you know at all and i believe he was drafted out of the US, ushl i think from was he from des moines is that true can't remember but he was from the ushl where a lot of prospects um perform really well offensively and then they usually go the college route and college uh they'll see the offensive numbers take a bit of a hit because they play a pretty tight checking style and so if he does not have great offensive numbers uh whenever he actually plays college hockey um don't be alarmed and look for him as victor says four or five oh he's from muskegon there thank you um he's in the ohl not going college route yeah, he went to the Spitfires. Okay. Oh, right. Okay. One of our colleagues, um, Dave Jewell, covers the Windsor Spitfires. He has a bunch of um, good content on Afanasiev. My apologies. So he will be able to develop his offense even more in the OHL because they do generate a lot of offense in the OHL. But um, as Victor said, four or five years down the road, he could see get into the NHL, and he could very easily be a middle six forward with, you know, 20 25 goal upside something like that he's uh he's a very large large player too it's he's a blast to watch <laughs> yeah definitely yeah he's uh he it's it um it looks like he might have a chance at being in the ahl this season we'll see of course it, a lot of these depending on what's happening with the leagues a lot of these college guys are going back to the ushl um a lot of them are uh potentially going to the queue i know because they have fewer travel restrictions and there's just a whole lot up in the air so we'll see if the ahl season actually happens he might make that jump or he might just uh um 
stick around in, in junior. So still so much up in the air with this whole pen hockey during the pandemic. Um, but uh, let's move on to the defenseman. So this is a guy, Jeremy Davies, uh, who is the other defenseman we're going to talk about. Uh, and he's a slightly undersized 5'11", 180-pound defenseman drafted back in 2016. He was a seventh rounder. 192nd player taken overall. So, you know, just the fact to be talking about him is is pretty great um, for their scouting and development. Uh, he's really blossomed. Uh, he had, he was drafted of the USHL. He played for Waterloo uh, and then Bloomington. Uh, actually, without, he was drafted of Bloomington, but he had a year in Waterloo before that. And then he spent three years at Northeastern. And the last two seasons at Northeastern, he was basically a point per game as a defenseman. That was pretty great. And then he transitioned over to the AHL, and he was he, he that was pretty seamless. He looked good. Uh, he didn't look out of place, even though he's undersized. He's really smart, um, knows how to position himself, and he's a physical guy for being, uh, you know, slightly smaller. He doesn't really get pushed around. And even though I don't really like plus minus as a stat, uh, you know, sometimes in some of these other leagues, it's hard to get some advanced stats. And the fact that he's plus 26 on this Admirals team uh, is pretty, pretty telling. So he led the league. I'm sorry. He led the team in plus minus. So, you know, that that says something. I'm not sure what, but it says something. (laughs) And um you know, in terms of his hockey prospecting, he basically was pretty pretty average in his minus one in draft year at 10 NHL equivalency, identical. And then he was identical in his draft plus one and draft plus two at 18. And then, uh, you know, this caps out at your draft plus three years. So this does not include his AHL season, but in his last and final NCAA season, he popped up to 30. So he has this nice upward trend of his uh, star potential capping out at 11%. And then um, a pretty high um, NHL or probability. The comparable that looks most like him is a pretty exciting one in Gary Suter. Um, Gary Suter is was a was an excellent uh, you know two way defenseman, slightly undersized. A uh, well, I guess six feet, um, but he was always just really smart, great skater, and you know did have some you know offensive pop. Not the most offensive defenseman, but certainly um, you know got himself in good positions and drove play into the offensive zone and that helped him uh, get some some chances so Davies I don't expect him to be like a star defenseman and put up tons of points but uh you know as a seventh round pick as someone who's probably available in your league and as as a depth piece uh that uh, could end up turning into something uh he's definitely a somewhat interesting uh, prospect and certainly in terms of helping the the predators to get anything out of him is is pretty it's pretty exciting. Oh, actually, I just remembered I have one more defenseman. So let me mention him, and then I'll get your take, uh, Kyle. Sorry. So the other guy uh, is uh, Alexander Carrier. And, or Carrier. Is it Carrier or Carrier? I think, I think it's, it's Carrier because he's from the Q. He's Carrier. There you go. Yeah. Oh, yeah, he was born in Quebec. Carrier. I said it right the first time. Should have trusted myself. Um, so he is a uh, – he, he's – He's a slightly undersized guy, too, at 5'11", and he just finished his fourth year in the AHL. So this is a guy who's been in the AHL for a long time, and he just finally uh, sort of broke out. Um, he had his last two seasons, he had 37 points each uh, for the Admirals, but uh, two seasons ago, he played 76 games to get those 37 points, and last season, he played only 55. So that was a pretty good jump. And he passed through waivers in 2019-20, which uh, basically means no one wanted him. And uh, the Nashville did felt pretty confident. 
Uh, he wasn't really someone they cared too much about. But after this past season looking pretty good, they did sign him to a three-year contract. So that suggests that they do like him. They do want him around. He's kind of a more physical guy, kind of a more Jake Muzzin type that, you know, can hit and block and, you know, maybe get some points. Um, but uh, hockey prospecting has his most likely comparable as Jake McCabe. So more of a physical, not as many points. But, uh, you know, kind of a tough, tough guy that you can slot in and get some physicality from. So those are the two other defensemen I wanted to mention, Davies and Carrier. What do you think about those guys? I Starting with Davies, I was really excited when they were actually able to sign him uh, out of Northeastern. Anytime a seventh-round pick even has a potential for playing in the NHL, you know that something's gone right. Um, they're usually kind of just, you know, dart throws and see what happens. Um, I think the thing with the Predators' defense is that will the opportunity – develop for these players uh when you have a top four now that fabro's established himself that's as locked in um as the predators is it kind of limits the opportunity for any prospects to come up and you're pretty much just going to be a bottom pair defenseman uh, unless injuries happen and we talked about david ferentz same thing for him well if david ferentz were to turn pro he's going to slot into one of those bottom pair roles pretty much right away so you're left with one at most maybe two if ferentz isn't signed um, now, I would like to see those bottom pair defense slots go to a prospect rather than people like Santini or Tenorti or insert player here. It doesn't really matter. It's a revolving door of just players, and Davies would fit in very well. And I've been a fan of Carrier and actually Frederick Allard for a little bit now. Um, I thought Frederick Allard actually passed uh, Carrier on their depth chart, but Kerry has been in the system for a while now and he's been pretty consistent. He's the kind of player that, um, as far as offense in the NHL, I don't know what like expectations would be, but he's would be a really nice, consistent, uh, defenseman. You wouldn't have to worry about him. You can just kind of throw him on the third pair and just kind of trust that he's not going to make a fool of himself or cause any problems because in Nashville, the third pair doesn't have to play very much. Uh, Yossi and Ellis and Ekholm and now Fabro, they're going to play each at least 20 minutes a night uh, once you know Fabro gets another professional season under his belt. So you're only looking at having to take up you know 15 minutes a night when you're looking at just five on five time. It's really not that much for the third pair. So I would like to see Carrier get an opportunity on that third pair maybe as soon as this season and see if he can establish himself and get solid playing time. And Davies maybe a year after that. I don't know if he'll make a jump to the NHL in 2021 or anything like that, though. Yeah, Jared Tenorti is the classic example of if you're drafted in the first round, which he was, 22nd overall, way back in 2010, you're going to get chance after chance after chance to fail and show that you cannot process the game at the high speed that it requires in the NHL. It's just kind of sad to watch, honestly, because he has a lot of physical tools and he is a physical tough guy, but he he just, I watch him and it's, I'm sure you do, Kyle, and just like facepalm, like, why are you doing that? Um, but yeah, he, I, I agree. Like that's, it's time to move on from, from players like that. It's time to give some of the guys that, uh, that haven't made those mistakes over and over again, a chance to, uh, at least make them the first time. Right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, so the goalie, the goalie, the goalie, the goalie, the goalie is Connor Ingram and Connor Ingram is a really exciting prospect by most ranking systems. I think when, um, 
I did mine back in January. He was he was up there top twenty. Most most uh, sources have him as a top twenty, maybe fifteen, maybe even ten prospect goalie. Um, and what's really fascinating about him is that the Predators drafted. I'm sorry, the Predators, the Lightning drafted him back in twenty. Um, was it sixteen? Uh, yeah, third over uh, third round, eightieth overall. Tampa Bay drafts him, and then as uh, Andre Vasilevsky starts turning into the goalie they hoped he would be and and just looking like he's going to be their franchise goalie, they decide to trade him for practically nothing, for a seventh-round pick, which is just baffling. Like, I don't know why you take a goalie so high. And Connor Ingram did nothing to dissuade them to think that he was an excellent prospect, but they gave him up for nothing. And the Predators are just over the moon, I'm sure, with having this guy in their system he has just been outstanding um, for the past uh, several seasons. So he, he hasn't played too much internationally. You know, he's Canadian, so there are a lot of options for Canada. Uh, and so he hasn't really had too many big international stage experiences, but he's played mainly in the AHL. He's gotten some ECHL action. And the, the most, the, the biggest thing that I can point out about him is that at every level, pretty much, except those four World Junior Championship games for Canada where he didn't look so good, um, he's been excellent. So for the AHL, for the for the ECHL, he's been uh, basically amazing. And this past season in the AHL, he had a 9.33 save percentage and a 1.92 goals against. Just fantastic. And the other thing that's really good is that he's taller. Right, so UC Saros, as good as he is, is five uh, ten, and Ingram is six foot two, so quite a bit taller. You know, he's a pretty, pretty uh, technical, sound, uh, pretty, but also can be athletic goalie. And you know, he's already been in the AHL for um, parts of three seasons, so he certainly, if they decide, you know, to move on from Rene or to uh, you know have him be sort of uh, in, a, in a different role then, you know, Ingram is ready, I think. He's ready, I think, even this season to be sort of a, a backup uh, if they wanted to. But he's not going to be. He's going to get probably at least one more season to show uh, that he can continue to dominate the AHL and then, um, you know, probably get his chance. So I think that's really comforting for their goalie situation. They don't have to, like, go sign someone. They don't have to bring anyone in. They're pretty much set with these three guys, right? Rene, Saros, and Ingram. Certainly, um Rene seems like he's will be on the way out, and and Ingram is just uh, ready to take the mantle. My biggest question for you, Kyle, is what do you think a few years from now? Because I think that Ingram, two or three years from now, could be pushing Saros, uh, and the fact that he's taller, um, you know, I don't know. I think that it's a, it'll be an interesting competition between those two. They could be uh, split starters and both be really good. Oh, I agree. Um... I have to imagine that when Poyle got the call from, I don't know if Eisman was still the GM then or if it was um, Breezebois, but when whoever the Lightning GM was at the time called up to ask about this trade, Poyle couldn't have said yes fast enough. I mean, seventh round pick <laughs> for a potential future NHL starter is insane. Um, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> I think that this season will be a real crossroads for the Predators' goaltending situation. As we mentioned earlier, both Rene and Saros are free agents after uh, this season. And I think the goal the whole time was to, when Renee's contract was up, Saros would be paid like a starter and would be their starter then for the next decade or whatever. He'd be the next pack of Renee, essentially, both Finnish goaltenders. And um, Saros hasn't like really grabbed the reins completely. And 
like we said earlier too, Renee's still gotten some starts, uh, more starts than what probably a lot of people would want to see. And then now they have Ingram in the pipeline as well. And so maybe <clears throat> if somebody gets uh, hurt, Renee or Sars get hurt this year, or maybe Renee just stumbles and isn't playing as well. Maybe Ingram will come up and play a few games just to see what you know how he performed in the NHL. But for you know this season, he'll be the AHL starter, I would assume. And then in two seasons, I would like to see him be at least a backup to Soros. Maybe something like a one A one B kind of thing. Maybe if there's an 82 game season, maybe he gets. 30 starts 25 to 30 starts and sorry the rest of them and you kind of just give ingram a chance to see what he can do at the nhl level because if the predators don't commit long term to sorrows um next season or i guess they could technically now i think as an extension um maybe they want to see what ingram can show and they're not willing to pay sorrows as a true starter right now and they want to give ingram the opportunity to take the starting role from sorrows they have consistency and yet also a lot of confusion in net right now yeah well it's good to have options right it's good to have a couple of guys that that should be able to carry the load and and as a sharks fan believe me that is a good problem <laughs> to have and yes i agree with your comment earlier about carlson that's just way too much money to be paying that man um but back to the I just wanted to mention you mentioned briefly the draft pick and you know I think it'll be it'll be so fun to watch and it's 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 happening so soon I'm sure we all can't wait for the draft I feel like if Askarov is there at 11th I think the Preds probably do take him because uh, that would be I think probably a big slip uh, on his part if he slips down to 11 I don't I think most sources have him going in the top 10 so uh, it's possible but also I feel like it, it would be, I think some of these skaters are going to be hard to pass up because I think at 11, there's still going to be basically a top 10, uh, if not even a top, uh, a higher end talent available at 11, you know, so I would, I would much rather them see, see them take a guy like Seth Jarvis or Jack Quinn, if he ends up dropping to 11 or even a Dawson Mercer, I think that would be, uh, you know, having another exciting forward like Tomasino in their system, a high upside uh, forward, I think, is is kind of more what they need. Um, and since they have Ingram and Saros, I feel like they don't really need uh, Askarov, although they could pull a Florida and just, you know, take the best goalie like they did last year, even though they didn't really need him. So <laughs> we'll see, right? I agree. I mean, <clears throat> I guess the Panthers or the Predators would be in a little bit better situation than the Panthers because Bobrovsky was just starting his contract right as they drafted uh, Spencer Knight, which was so confusing because yeah. what's what's the end goal there? Is it to buy out Bobrovsky down the road? I don't know. But um, I think if, like you said, if Askarov's there, best player available, it wouldn't make a lot of sense for them, but it would be a little bit more security and certainty than what you have with Saros or um, Ingram at the time. But I, I think going after, I, I think another forward, they don't really need a defenseman. And again, if they draft a defenseman high, what are they going to do with him when he's ready to go to the NHL? Is it not re-signing Matthias Ekholm, which would be kind of tragic? Like, you don't want to play a top prospect on the bottom pair if you can avoid it, uh, especially if he's able to take a you know second pair role when he's uh, ready to. Um, so I think going after a forward, 
another center can never hurt. I mean, they've still been going after this this first line <laughs> center. So like, why not just keep trying, I guess? I don't know. Centers can usually play on the wing, which is helpful. Wingers can't play down the middle. So, I mean, mm-hmm. I want to see somebody who's a good goal scorer more than anything. Uh, granted, I know it's not this year, but like somebody even like Cole Caulfield, who is a really good goal scorer, just like that's his primary thing. The Predators have never had that. And I don't believe, have they ever had a 40 goal scorer still? I don't know if they have. And so we see these articles about 50 goal scorers. I'm like, well, can't really write one of those. They were pointing because <laughs> the Predators have just never had one. Uh, they, yeah, they need somebody that they can just rely on to take a game over and just snipe one from, you know, the, the dot during on a playoff or a, sorry, a power play or something like that. Just, yeah, they need a reliable goal scorer. I would love to see them go after someone like that in the draft. Nice. Well, we are looking forward to that draft coming up in a couple of weeks. And as far as yourself, Kyle, uh, what should people be looking forward to in terms of content coming out for you, coming out for the hockey writers? What's coming up? How do people find your work? Well, you can always go to thehockeywriters.com to find everything. Uh, We have newsletters that go out. You can sign up for them at the bottom of pretty much every article that we publish. Um, As Victor mentioned, we are doing a lot of draft coverage right now. The Stanley Cup final, you know, could be over as soon as tonight, I believe. Game five is tonight. Uh, So from there, we'll work into draft coverage, free agency, and things like that. We have a very extensive draft preview that we keep adding to, uh, prospect reports on hundreds of, or at least over a hundred prospects. And they just keep coming out. I've never heard of some of the prospects, to be honest with you. Um, but we, I'm excited about it. And we're doing top underrated prospects from each country. Victor is going to have a top underrated Russian prospect article coming out soon. We have uh, team-specific draft previews, so if you're a fan of a specific team, uh, check our site out and see what we have for you and see if you agree or disagree and let us know. Awesome, awesome. Well, Kyle, we really appreciate your coming on today, talking some Nashville Predators and getting people geared up for whenever that next season happens, uh, for being ready for some Predators hockey. Uh, Thanks a lot for coming on with us today. Thank you for having me. It was a great deal of fun talking about a predators team that's not been a great deal of fun recently (laughs) (laughs) all right thanks kyle awesome awesome yes sir kyle guy bringing the heat with nashville predators hockey along with of course Victor Nuno, my co-host, my friend, talking about some of those prospects. Great episode. I hope everybody enjoyed that as much as I did. A few reminders as we head out today. Uh, The references that Victor uses and uh, some of them that I also use for researching players, Evolving Hockey, Hockey Viz, Charting Hockey, Elite Prospects, Dauber Hockey, Dauber Prospects, Cap Friendly, The Hockey Writers, Natural Stat Trick, Hockey Reference, and The Athletic. If you like to listen to podcasts, you like to listen to podcasts about fantasy sports, there's a number of great ones over at Fantrax HQ where I'm hosted, and that is CFF on Campus, college, college fantasy football with John Lobb and Scott Bogman. 
My friend Scott Bogman also does the Individual Defensive Podcast. That is NFL Pro Fantasy Football, including the individual defensive players. And Scott is joined by Gary Davenport, big-time guy in the fantasy IDP space out there to produce that podcast. The Five Tool Podcast is out there with Eric Cross, Jesse Roche, and Jake Devereaux talking fantasy baseball prospects. And the Kickaround Pod. Boy, those guys, I went in and looked the other day at the EPL, uh, the English Premier League pros- uh, coverage that we do at Fantrax, and there is a lot of stuff. If you happen to get into that or you've ever been soccer curious, uh, check out the EPL talk with Joe Williams on the Kickaround Pod and look at some of the content that's up there on Fantrax HQ because there's really a lot of good stuff there. You can uh, check out also articles over on Fantrax HQ in all different sports. A hockey has not yet picked back up. We're kind of in, the, as you know, the the fantasy offseason, but there will be some coming, I know, in the future uh, for that space. Uh, you can play, though, your leagues on Fantrax. All the fantasy sports can be played there. That is something that you won't find on any other site, I guarantee it, in terms of the breadth of the sports you can play and the number of settings that you can employ, uh, the really the complexity you can get into. If you're a commissioner, it's, it's like Christmas morning. Uh, it's like the kid in the proverbial candy store in terms of all the different options and cool things you can do. And, you know, it takes a minute if you have never played on a site that has actual functionality before, but it's worth getting into. And the people, uh, if you have trouble with it, will actually help you. You can send in a ticket and a human being reaches back out to you at some point and is not just this uh, cold corporate site that really could not care less <laughs> if you're if you're on there or not, if you're having a problem, okay? So it is the best place to play your fantasy sports. Highly recommend it. You can uh, catch all the content on the Hockey Writers. You know, we have a very special affiliation with them now. You heard Kyle, the managing editor of uh, Hockey Writers, on today's episode, and we're really blessed to have them working with us to produce a lot of uh, a lot of connection. We have a lot of the writers from that site on now to talk about some of the team beats, and of course, Victor is a guy over at the Hockey Writers as well. If you like this podcast, if you like our shtick, if you like our fun time we're having over here at Fantasy Hockey Life, uh, give us a follow on Twitter at, at @FanHockeyLife. Follow Victor at, at @VictorNuno12 on Twitter, and uh, you know, say hi follow. Uh, You can also do us a wonderful favor by rating and reviewing this podcast on Apple Podcasts or the podcast aggregator that you most prefer. I know Hockey Writers likes to promote on the Spotify platform. That's great. Listen on Spotify. Listen wherever you want. I just want to know that there are people out there. I haven't had any great insights like the one I had the other week about how Japan and Taiwan are listening to this podcast in great profusion, but I do encourage people to create country-specific spikes Uh, That will make us very excited to know where in the world our fans come from. But uh, it doesn't matter wherever you are from. We love you. We want you to be part of fantasy hockey. It is an incredibly engaging and the best, frankly, of all the fantasy sports. So keep preparing for the 2020-21 season. As soon as the cup is awarded, that doesn't mean it's the end of fantasy hockey or it's the end of hockey because now is the time you can start thinking about that off season generate all that excitement and be ready and until next time keep living that fantasy hockey life 